Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us in the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. who, Bill, let's admit it, you've kind of been in hiding since not-so-super Tuesday night. We've been trying to lure you out from under your desk with a bowl of warm milk to confront the harsh realities for those who are trying to stop Donald Trump from being the GOP nominee. I was on a long flight to California yeah, yesterday. Sure. That was my excuse for <laughs> uh, not confronting these realities. And I'm at an academic conference here uh, tonight and tomorrow, so that'll be a nice excuse maybe also to to avoid uh, facing up to what's happening. But no, I mean, that uh, it was a bad night for the Stop Trump forces Tuesday night. Not a devastating night. He, he you know, won Michigan handily, but got, what did he get, 36, 37 percent of the vote at the end, which is pretty much a steady uh, vote. He's, he's actually the percentages of his vote and of his delegates are pretty much where they have been. It certainly increases the stakes for Tuesday night, for for super for this coming Tuesday night, the Ides of March, March 15th. And the weakness of Rubio makes Florida look much more difficult to uh, win uh, against Trump. And that's one of the two winner-take-all states. So uh, our backs are a little bit up against the wall, but, you know, it's happened before. And... Uh, And uh, we certainly need to keep on fighting. Never give up, never give up, never give up. We're back in this Churchill moment again. But does it say something about the rest of the field that despite the money spent, uh, you know, highlighting some of Trump's problems and the time they've had, you know, campaigning, that they haven't been able to push up into at least at least one of them to break out into the 30s along with Trump. There's there's no reason why they have to wait for other people to get out. If Rubio were good at this, couldn't he be in the 30s right now? Yeah, I mean, the one who's been close and has been in the 30s in some states has been Ted Cruz, obviously, who's doing very well, but with a limited chunk of the party, very conservative voters, evangelical voters, showing a little expansion Tuesday night and got to the mid-20s in Michigan, which isn't a state you would have said would be a natural cruise state. Uh, his big ch- he is the hope now, presumably, for the Stop Trump forces. Kasich is a localized hope in Ohio and in some other states, but presumably Cruz would be the candidate who could come close to or maybe surpass Trump in delegates going into the convention. Um, and so there's a big question mark, big challenge now for Cruz. Can he really expand his appeal? I have a couple of thoughts of how he might do that, but so far he's, I think he's been pretty content to run a, a good campaign, but a kind of a limited campaign that I think ultimately would leave him in second place. And I look, second out of 17 is pretty impressive for a guy who many people thought wouldn't make it to the final three or six or anything. But uh, second isn't first. And I think this is a big question going ahead. Can Ted Cruz broaden his appeal, uh, both, I think, changing his tone somewhat, but I would say particularly uh, offering more policy solutions that would attract more moderate and, and sort of less stridently, or strident's not a fair word, since I'm one of those with less ideologically conservative voters, um, by s- allow them to say, well, Cruz is a little more conservative than I, than, I, than I would be, but he seems to have a real solution on Obamacare. He seems to have a good tax plan. He seems to have uh, an awful lot of things that we would want a president to do. Um, I think he's been, he needs to emphasize that a little more in the debate tonight and then going forward, but I think he has a real chance. I noticed how you dodged the uh, Rubio part of my question. Well, let, me come back to, yeah, let me come back to that. So what's been striking, of course, is the people uh, we would, I would have, certainly and did think were the kind of potential, kind of big tent conservatives, impressive, young, um, you know, electoral success in states that are not easy states to win in have just flamed out. I mean, Scott Walker was the first instance of that. Right. And in retrospect, I think that was a real indication of kind of where this race was going. And then Marco Rubio is now the, the second, since I think most people, you know, kind of who 
I'd say who I talked to, sort of my world, probably you know, Walker, Rubio, that was kind of the kind of candidate, one or both of them as a ticket, that we sort of expected this, this race might produce, and we thought would be a very good ticket, incidentally, in either direction, Walker, Rubio, Rubio, Walker, a winning ticket against Hillary Clinton. The dynamics of the Republican primary field didn't produce that. Maybe it was due to just, you know, chance events. Walker ran a bad campaign. Rubio got beat up by Bush's super PAC and never could quite take off. Or maybe it had something more to do with the deep recurrence of this year. But we didn't end up with that. And now we have Rubio presumably isn't going to be the nominee. Um, And so we really are down to to Trump and Cruz and Kasich, who I think can get some real delegates, but presumably also won't be the nominee. And uh, the comments continue on the reluctance of the establishment to embrace, I say the establishment, you know, that's the shorthand for the non-Trump uh, uh, people to embrace Ted Cruz. Why don't they dump money with him the same way they had with Rubio since he wins and help him win some more? Well, as you know, the the Washington establishment, to the degree there is one, but let's say incumbent senators and some of the donors really uh, loathe Cruz, both for, you know, obviously it could personally be difficult and seem self-seeking. For some, he's just much too conservative, too, too strident, to use a word I used before, but now I, that they would consider too strident, too uncompromising, maybe too unelectable, though the fact is he runs pretty even with Hillary Clinton in the matchups, which is a lot better than Trump does. Um, no, that is, uh, when the history of this race is written, the, the unwillingness of donors, activists, or other elected officials to step up and make real choices in real time that would have stopped Trump is really going to be, and, and also the, the unwillingness of candidates to act uh, in a way that would have, that's not too little too late to stop Trump in terms of their own decisions to get out of the race. Um, that really will be part of the part of the story of this year. It really is. Um, and maybe, again, it's hard to blame any individual. People are entitled to make their own decisions about who they want to give money to or who they want to support. But the net effect of all these decisions has been to allow Trump, who's run a very clever campaign, to become a strong front runner. again, while he's been averaging, what, 36%, 35% of the vote so far. And spending relatively little money, money that many people suspect he doesn't have. Now, the... Uh Comment he made uh, with Anderson Cooper uh, about Islam, saying Islam hates us, uh, which is, I mean, a pretty, I mean, shotgun shell kind of conversation on something that's a lot more nuanced than that. Is that part of this clever campaigning? It, it sparks the people who are drawn to him anyway, but is also so vague and nebulous that it's kind of hard to, to you know, uh, return fire on. I mean, he's made so many comments that in normal context would be considered, if not disqualifying, at least something you'd have to apologize for and explain for days on end. Right. Betray such a kind of vulgarity of mind and, and, as you say, sort of shotgun blunderbuss approach to politics and public policy. But again, he really is an unusual candidate, and, and you've got to give him credit for sort of seeing or maybe stumbling into this this mode that he's gotten into. And it's probably why a lot of the conventional attacks don't work. So uh, it doesn't mean that people were stupid to try the conventional attacks. Who knew that this was going to be kind of a once-in-a-generation? And I don't say that in, in, in a good way, but right. I mean, it, it's a factual matter, kind of a once-in-a-generation phenomenon. Yeah, it, it seems to be a phenomenon, and people keep trying to analyze what's caused it. President Obama was in a press conference today with the uh, Canadian uh, uh, Prime Minister and, pointed, and was asked about Republicans blaming him for the rise of Trump. And he said, no, it's the, the conservatives created a climate 
where someone like Trump could rise. On the other hand, Ted Cruz said, no, no, it's because Donald Trump takes advantage of low information voters, the poorly educated. He, he's taking advantage of them, tricking them uh, because they don't understand you know, what he's all about. I, I, what's interesting to me is how much that analysis overlaps, and I don't think that's good for Senator Cruz. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Ted Cruz is a smart guy, but he loves and he loves politics and he loves analyzing politics. I've heard him do it in private and in conversation. And he's he, you know he's a good pundit and analyst, but candidates should not be pundits and analysts. And the idea that one candidate is analyzing the appeal of another or or the character of the other's supporters is utterly foolish. I mean, it's ridiculous. Cruz should just say, you know what, Donald Trump's run a good campaign. So far, he's a bit ahead of me, but I think I can beat him and just leave it at that, right? And then go right. back to his own message. So it's, I, I just wish, I know Cruz's advisors have told him this, that, you know, you're not, you're the candidate, not the uh, <laughs> campaign manager or the uh, guy commenting on the campaign on, on TV, but um, he's not helping himself with those kinds of comments. I mean, there are many you know, reasons for Trump, and some of them have to do with some deficiencies of uh, Republicans and of the Republican establishment and, of the, and other deficiencies of the Republican grassroots. And, and I do think President Obama created, in, in many ways, without Obama, I don't think we would have Trump. Without Bush, as the early alleged front runner, we probably wouldn't have Trump. So an awful lot of things have come together to produce it. But um, at this point, I think the important thing is to try to save the Republican Party from having a nominee whom so many Republicans, I think, correctly regard as just an unacceptable heir to uh, to this tradition, to the tradition of the Republican Party and the conservative movement. I'm, I'm writing the editorial for this week's issue right now, and so I went back in my mind, I think I'll, I'll actually have this in the editorial, over the candidates since 1948 that in our lifetimes, I mean, even for older voters, that takes, a, <laughs> that takes, that takes you back quite a ways. Um, you know, that the Republican Party has offered. And they've got deficiencies. Some of them weren't good candidates. Some of them had were problematic in terms of their conservatism. Some of them, you know, uh, Mitch Nixon was so problematic as a president, maybe. But, you know, you go back and look at those candidates, and they're all just head and shoulders above Donald Trump, in my opinion, as public figures. And really also, I'd say, as human beings in almost every case, impressive people, even if they weren't all good candidates, the Bob Doles and John McCain's of the world, uh, others you know, with real records of achievement in public life. So uh, it really is depressing as a longtime Republican and conservative to think that this party is now going to uh, nominate Trump. As I say, it's not that a majority of voters have been voting for him, but the dynamics of the race have made him the front runner, and we're getting down to... You know the the primaries now on, on on the fifteenth and then subsequent weeks, uh, where he's going to have to be uh, stopped. And I'm at the point where I, it seems that nothing short of a bold action will change the dynamic of the race. And Trump supporters say that that just proves that Trump is the guy. That whether the Bill Crystals and Michael Graham of the world like it, the he cl- more closely reflects what Republican voters want in 2016 than anyone else, and therefore he deserves to be the nominee of the party. Are they wrong? Well, he reflects what 35, 36% of the voters so far want, and I, I don't, you know, and that, but there's no begrudging that. That's more than anyone else has gotten. But again, it's not as if he's getting 55 or 60% of the voters, and it's not as if he's had much money spent against him in terms of exposing his record and his views, and it's not as if the liberal media isn't really colluding at this point, I would almost say, 
in letting Trump have kind of a free ride so that he becomes the Republican nominee, because he, I do think, would be by far the weakest Republican nominee against Clinton. So, I, I no, I, look, I think if he wins, he wins, you know, and then people can have to make up their own minds about what they do in that circumstance. But the idea that because he's winning so far, everyone else has to just roll over and say, whoop, the people have spoken when fewer than uh, half the states have voted, uh, that, I, that I, I, I deny. Well, I just saw something move across my Twitter feed, Bill, that apparently Kanye West says he's all for Donald Trump. So it's over because, as you know, as Kanye goes, so goes the GOP. That's the uh, America we live in in 2016, <laughs> I suppose. But it's not over. There's a debate tonight. There's a, there are a bunch of primaries Tuesday and then a bunch after that. And as we've seen, there are these this year has been the last year has been one of pretty amazing twists and turns. I uh, the people who are all now, you know, forecasting the inevitability of Trump with fewer than half the votes having been cast in the Republican primary so far, fewer than half the states having voted. Um, you know, they, 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 it's, this is not the year where it seems to like, it would be strange if so far there have been all these twists and turns, but now everything just settles in and goes predictably. I don't think that's going to be the case. Well, we will follow the twists and turns right here on the Weekly Standard Podcast. Bill, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.